All right, welcome back to another very brief Marvelette episode of Friends from Work. Thank you for listening. Today, I wanted to check in on three things, Robbie. One, and first, I'll start off by saying I want to hear about your trip to New York briefly and your John Williams Yo-Yo Ma concert. Please tell our listeners how it was. Man, it was incredible and everything I needed it to be. Mm. Uh, it's it's hard because sometimes this stuff is you build it up so much that it's so impossible for it to meet the expectation. And I was trying to keep my expectations somewhat reasonable, just knowing like, look, he's 92 years old. I mean, holy cow. Like how much can you really expect in terms of energy and intensity? Because I was thinking about this. I don't know if I'm sure you have. I don't know if you or, or whoever's listening, if you've ever been to see someone perform that is like a legend, but they are very understandably past their prime. Like, okay. for instance, I saw Bob Dylan perform in 2010. Mm. A great experience. If it weren't Bob Dylan, though, then I kind of would have been like, like if it was just a random guy, sure, sure, it would not have been a super meaningful experience because it's like, you know, he's getting older and you can't really understand anything he sings anymore. And <laughs> that's fine. Sure. But good on him. John Williams <laughs> was the total opposite of that. He still had his A game, his fastball. Dude, it's crazy. It's like Candace and I were talking about it all night because like, think about. Did Candace like it? She loved it. Yeah. Like think about grandparents or, or, or folks, you know, like the average person in their nineties, again, understandably 90s. is not wow. like that active. He just, by the way, broke the record. I think that he previously set for oldest composer ever nominated hmm. for an Oscar for the Indiana Jones score, uh, which is one of the five scores up this year, which I love. And he, I thought maybe he would come out and just play through this kind of set going through things. And he, in between each song, talked about why he was playing what he was playing. He gave some oh, great really? context. It was so like he was so charming and warm and engaging. He's still and, into like, it. Sh- he still loves man, it. Man, like he like he talked about like really in depth about what in what went into the Helena theme for the new indie movie. He talked about how much he loves Phoebe Waller Bridge. Hmm. Talked about her career kind of apart from Indiana Jones, which hmm. is when I was like, Candace, how many ninety two year olds are very familiar with the career of Phoebe Waller Bridge? Yeah, it was just like. That stuff was fun. Also, some like really fun Easter egg things for fans of Star Wars or or Indiana Jones. Stuff that I'm sure you can find on IMDb facts pages. Mm-hmm. But like as two examples, he talked about how Harrison Ford has complained to him that the Indiana Jones theme is so iconic that now anytime Harrison <laughs> Ford goes anywhere, that's they play a, it. That's such a Harrison Ford complaint. <laughs> I know, like so grumpy. Yeah. Uh, he was like, I'm sitting there in the dentist's office and I'm getting a root canal and I suddenly hear dun, 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 <laughs> like in the speakers. Oh, it must uh, be so hard for you, Harrison. Wow. Right. So, but I like that. Uh, I like just him talking about the relationship he's had with Spielberg and Harrison Ford over the years. But also on the Star Wars front, it was, I loved this little tidbit. Uh, you know, one of the kind of running gags with the original Star Wars trilogy is 
it seems as though Luke and Leia have some romantic chemistry in the first film. And then you find out they're brother-sister. So Williams talked about how nobody except for George Lucas had any idea when they were filming the first film that Luke and Leia were siblings. And they they definitely didn't know that they weren't supposed to have like at least a possibility for romance. So he wrote the... Kind of the Luke themes. and Leia theme, or the, the Princess Leia's theme, as it's kind of known now, intending it to be a romance theme sure. for Luke and Leia. And then in Empire, had to write a new love theme for yeah. Han and Carrie, or Han and Leia. Uh, and that was fun. So, like, all that was great. Yo-Yo Ma was... He's, like, decent. That's, he's decent at playing his instrument. Yeah, he's pretty good, I would say. Uh, <laughs> he was like, like a 6 solid, out of 10. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> solid B. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, if he worked on it a little longer, practiced a little bit more, yeah. Yeah, but you know, like, Who's participation's fine. Yeah, sure. I just, I, that's almost the moment, as much as I think you would have loved all of the, the Williams stuff, uh, the Yo-Yo Ma piece is when I kept thinking of you just as, as someone that is so, like, has such a respect for technical proficiency with this stuff. You're thinking of me? Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Like, because it wasn't just how, like, perfectly he performed. It was also how into it he was. And I'm sure you can see this if you go look up other recordings of him playing. But, like, he would get to the end of each piece and he would hold his bow there for like 20 seconds with his eyes closed. And it was just like total silence in the auditorium until he like finally put his arm down and signaled like, now it's actually over. And then it would just be like a roaring standing ovation. But like he was so lost in the emotion of whatever piece he was playing that like he had to give himself like a a breather like a period of reflection before he can move on and then like by doing that he pulled the whole audience in with him which was such a powerful thing the way that the whole thing was structured too kind of as as my last note which wound up being such a gift it was originally going to be williams conducting yo-yo ma and performing the concerto that he wrote for yo-yo ma and then a brief intermission and a guest conductor coming and taking a tour through some of Williams' major film scores. And then at some point between whenever I even got my last uh, like invitation and whenever I went and picked up tickets, they swapped that, which was so perfect because Williams didn't actually conduct Yo-Yo Ma, which then put more of the of the attention on him and on the, the, how much the, all the pieces were centered on his parts, but he was so incredible that Williams, who was not even on stage, kept just coming out after each part of, uh, or each movement just to like hug Yo-Yo Ma and shake his hand and make him stand up and take another bow. It was just like, a it, it was all, as really weirdly heartwarming Good. and just incredible. It was incredible seeing like all of these people just at the absolute top 
of their game. And they are also just at the, at the tip top of whatever ladder. And so it was like Candace and I were totally blown away. Order West, because I think I said on our last episode, uh, some of the songs that he was set to play. And he did play through the whole set. But I had also said that I was really hoping okay. that he might do an encore. But I didn't know because this was kind of a unique performance where there was the like a big dinner afterwards. And I didn't know how much they would want to push that back. But he did either two or three encores, however you want to look at it. Like Candace and I kept like, how is he still coming back? And the first one, he came back and did hell on his theme and talked about that. Then he left again and then came back and didn't say anything. Like all night, he'd kind of been introducing things and he didn't say a word. He just walked up to the podium. Power move. And then you just heard... And then it's like they did the Star Wars theme into the Imperial March. Okay. And that was... And like the craziest part is looking around in the auditorium. They're all these like upper echelon of New York, like high society, really fancy, fancily dressed people. uh, The kind Mm. of people that would normally go to a Carnegie Hall show. Sure. And it was so fun seeing a crowd like that just lose their minds. Get giddy. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really special, really special night. And I, I love that I came away only loving John Williams more. Okay, you answered one of my questions. So two questions and a comment. Rapid fire, elevator pitch. Like, this is so quick. Uh, one, how was Carnegie Hall? Oh, uh, excellent. You loved it? Yeah. Had you been there before? And, and somehow we wound up on the floor, which was oh. insane. I can't remember if I sent you that picture, but we were like six rows from the stage. Oh, my gosh. So the seat. Okay, so then my yeah, second question is, you keep incredible. saying you got an invite. What do you mean you got an invite? And why did you get invited? Are you just saying like anyone oh. could have gone or you were like, you were signaled? Oh, out? no, no, no. Yeah, no, anyone could have gone. What I meant is like the, the, like I, I, I say it's an invite because it's not really a ticket. It's like this thing, which just sort of says like, you know, you're welcomed and then gives all the information. So it's just a promo thing. It wasn't like they sent it to you for being. Well, no, no, no. They sent it to me after I got tickets. Oh, okay. Okay. There you go. So that's my yeah. second question. Uh, and then my one comment is on SmartList, the podcast, they do a thing where whenever they get into the weeds about Hollywood or acting, they say for Tracy out there and they say it's like Sean's cousin to explain it for people who don't know what you're talking about. I want to, uh-huh. not that we're on SmartList level or their level in their expertise, but I want to come up with that for like whenever we get in the weeds on like music or something, like when you say Yo-Yo Ma, like I'm thinking to myself, I don't know if all of our listeners know who Yo-Yo Ma is, but I don't want to mm. like. I'm not trying to talk down to them. So that's where right. you say like for, you know, like in, in music world for Becky. Yeah. We need to say like, oh, and by the way, for the Yo-Yo Ma is like a world-renowned cello, you know, cello player, cellist. Okay. So listeners yeah. help me come yeah. up with the, who's our demographic? Who's the name? Like for, oh, that's you know, actually, for, for Sean out there or for, I like that. for James or, you know, whatever. That means like for the people who don't know music, this is what I mean when I say a Picardy third or that mm-hmm. he like waited for applause or whatever. Okay. That's my right. thing. I, uh, I'm glad you had a great time. I'm man, great it time. was, it was such a, uh, I would, I, yeah, I would highly, highly recommend. He still, he does play around every now and then. I haven't been able to go the last couple times because of work conflicts after I was starting to really try to make it happen. But uh, yeah, I think just such a, like, he just loves it so much. And Good. that's like what you and I always talk about. That's what you love. Like, like gets me going. is just like, and that's what Can- Candace, Candace, and I Candace has about. it too, right? 
Kansas has said that to us before. It's just fun to watch people who are passionate about their thing do their thing. It and, almost and can be in any it, kind of realm, really. Like, to, like he obviously does not need to still be working. Yeah. And yep. the fact that he's just doing it because he enjoys it so much and still takes it so seriously. And the the last thing I'm, I I forgot uh, story-wise that I thought Here you would appreciate okay. and our listeners would okay. appreciate yeah, sure. because of the type of film score conversations we have and because of the, the Marvel movie of it all. Uh, do you know a track? It's it's called like the the Motorcycle Scherzo or something like that. It, it's no. from The Last Crusade. No. You would probably recognize it, but it's uh it it's the the part of the score that plays whenever he and uh whenever Indy and his dad are on motorcycles like trying to get away from the Nazis at some point. It's a really, really excellent track. And Williams talked about how it was like it's one of the more complex pieces that he's ever written for a film, especially an action film. And he talked about getting the London Symphony in and how tough it was to nail that piece and how much work it was for them. And and hmm. then how he went and saw it in theaters and was so excited to see how it turned out. And he was like, all I could hear was motorcycles. <laughs> 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 so he said now he like play, intentionally plays it at these shows so just so people it. can hear how yeah. great the music actually is. <laughs> That's funny. That's good. That's good. I love that. Okay. Really briefly, part two and part three of today's episode, we wanted to take a second to formally announce that starting on Thursday, Robbie and I here at Friends From Work are starting our X-Men rewatch journey. It's official. February 29, we are starting. What we're going to be doing, and we're still figuring out some of the details, but I think if we go every other week with an X-Men project, from now until Deadpool, it will line up just right that we've seen mm -hmm. everything combined with what we're going to be doing on the main feed. So I first want to say I invite anyone who wants to go back through this journey to get a larger appreciation for the X-Men side of this entire Marvel saga. Uh, like me, I need a little more. Uh, I need to brush up over there. Anyone who wants to do that can do that. Absolutely. We're going to be talking about X-Men on the main feed, on Friends from Plus, everywhere. So if you want to get your mind right, everyone can start watching by watching X-Men from 2000, the first one, on February 29th. Thursday, February mm -hmm. 29th. If you are a Friends from Work Plus subscriber or you're thinking about it, every two weeks we will have an episode covering those movies. And those episodes include my genuine reaction to some of these films that I've never seen, which is really fun. And then you honestly having to revisit some stuff that you maybe have never seen. Uh, yeah. and, we, and we get into that on that side of things. Now there will be X-Men talk on the main feed, as I've said so many times. So you're not totally missing out, but if you really want in-depth looks at that stuff, now might be a good time to look into friends from work plus. And I just want to say, you know, like on Apple, I believe you can do a free trial. So you, uh, you could do a free trial for a week or a month and try some of the episodes and then cancel if you don't want to do it. Or maybe you just want to hop on Patreon and, and join a tier for three months until Deadpool and then you can uh, part. But now might be a good time to look into that, support the podcast and get some really, really fun X-Men coverage. So mm -hmm. as I said, you got to listen to the podcast to get the full order. But we're working through some stuff every other week. And so far, Robbie and I have already rewatched and recorded in this order, X-Men. That'll be on Thursday. And then the two weeks later, X2. Two weeks after that, you go back in time 
to X-Men First Class, which was a blast to do. And then this is where we were really debating what to do. And this is like going to mm-hmm. wrap up the first month of this. We then watched X-Men Wolverine Origins, which you and I have not recorded yet, which will be really fun. Um right there before we then continue the journey. So if you want to start right now, X-Men 1, X-Men 2, First Class, and then Wolverine Origins. But I know everyone out there is super stoked for the X-Men, and they want to be ready before Deadpool, and you're you're chomping at the bit to go... By the way, it's champing at the bit. Sorry. You're champing at wow. the bit to get started. Uh, no one knows that. You know that? I know. That's why yeah, yeah. I definitely have gotten that one I wrong. Think, I think we've talked about that on the podcast. <laughs> if you're champing at the bit to get started... I would just say, not for a ton of benefit of my own, I think it's a little more fun to slightly spread it out like this. Like, it would be more mm-hmm. fun to not race ahead of us, stay current with the conversation, let's dive in on Patreon, on Discord, after the episodes that are coming out, or as Robbie and I are starting to go through X-Men 97 on the main feed, if there's a fun shout-out to X-Men from 2000 or whatever, it's just kind mm-hmm. of fun to be in sync. Now, you can do whatever you want. You can watch them all, but I would say it could be a fun thing if everyone went every other week with us. Mm-hmm. for a while. Maybe we'll eventually set up like a rewatch night or something, maybe for a, a key film in that or for days of future right. past or X three or something. But I just think it'd be more benefit to not getting ahead. So there you go. Well, that's what we're doing starting this Thursday on friends from work plus X-Men from 2000. Anything you want to add? Yeah, just briefly. One of the big debates for us here was whether to watch all of the X-Men films or just, the X-Men films that actually contribute to the overall story. Mm-hmm. And we wound up choosing the former approach, which I think will be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means that we are watching movies that it's not just a matter of, of picking out the bad ones. It's more like, cause that's like the difference between the X-Men universe and the MCU, for instance, right? You could say, Oh, well, I don't, I don't think Thor, the dark world is good reference. So, so I'm just going to pull it out. Yeah. But in doing that, you would actually miss yes. plot elements mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, have varying significance, but are there. There are things like, like, for instance, X-Men Origins Wolverine. You can pull out and outside of some meta commentary in the Deadpool movies you don't miss anything because there's never any reference made ever again to the actual events of that movie. And so I went back and forth on those things, mm. but you know, they are there. Like I said, there are some fun meta references in Deadpool. And I I'm guessing that Deadpool three. Yeah, since exactly. It's the only other time Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds have, you know, been together. I'm sure it will be referenced. As of now, some of that stuff won't be referenced, but yeah, maybe in Deadpool 3, maybe in Secret Wars, like it will come back and you'll be yeah. benefited that you did watch it. So so that's the that's the one thing. A lot of those movies also, like I've still never seen New Mutants. Yeah, I've not pl- seen all of Dark Phoenix. Neither have so. I. So some of that stuff is fun to also talk about a booby every once in a while, a bad yeah. movie. And so. I, you know, I've I've done enough booby. I've done enough to, to see where, the where I think they should fit it, done enough research without giving away too much plot points to myself but that gives uh that's my only other comment the way we're approaching especially the first third of this rewatch uh is you know speaking of Star Wars earlier it's sort of like a machete cut approach and I think that that's going to wind up working the best what I mean by that is back before the the sequel trilogy, 
there were a lot of people that would watch, myself included, that would watch the Star Wars films, not starting with episode one and watching chronologically, but starting with episode four and then watching episode five and then right at the reveal that Luke is Vader's son and that Luke and Leia are siblings, it then, you know, you cut back and you watch the Mm -hmm. original trilogy because that way you get the benefit of the world building that those original movies do. But then right when you want to know more about this relationship is when you get that information, which I think kind of makes the the prequel trilogy actually better. And I think that that's what I'm hoping to accomplish here, where I think that the first X-Men film and X2 do a pretty remarkable job of world building and setting up your key characters and motivations. I think X2 ends in a way, it's, it's less cliffhanger than Empire, but it certainly ends on like a similarly dramatic note mm-hmm. that then makes it interesting to go back and get more information on characters, particularly Xavier and Magneto and then uh, Wolverine. And if you want to hear sort of. my reaction to that, your theory there, subscribe to Friends from Work Plus because I have some thoughts on some of the mm-hmm. confusion that maybe is generated because of that though. But then it's also because it's the X-Men universe. So we'll get into that too. Well, and would it be, would it be less more or less confusing yeah. if you started with first class, you know? These are the things we're going to be talking about. So again, yeah. X-Men 2000 on Friends from Work Plus this Thursday. And then last shout out, we just kind of wrapped a journey through some of the best picture nominees with the uh, Killers of the Flower Moon episode on Screensaver. Uh, that's already available now. And then next week we're doing Dune part two, which is not a best picture thing, but another screensaver episode of a mm-hmm. movie that I think will have a ton of crossover. I've already seen it with our audience uh, on friends from work. The last thing I wanted to say in closing here, Rob is there was a really interesting Hollywood reporter article on the Marvel cinematic universe that I found really interesting. It, it, it was not a hit piece. It was actually pretty encouraging. And that's why I'm bringing it up here. Hmm. You know, you and I don't often get into speculation on a lot of stuff and you and I aren't going to make like a YouTube video about this right away. But, but there were some interesting quotes and I think you don't know this. And there's, there are a few things in here that I think you'll really enjoy. So I'm going to be reading it Mm -hmm. a little bit sideways here. Don't judge me. I'm not going to read the whole article. It talks about how just over a year ago, like things were really ramping up for quantum mania. And then kind of ever since then, we've talked about that so many times, like the missteps and the perception and whatever. And so that's right. kind of the, the general premise of when they think this kind of started, but uh, they, the, the articles entitled that how Marvel is quietly retooling amid superhero fatigue. And what I think mm. is interesting for non uh, sports people out there, by the way, retooling is kind of a new word in the sports world, especially where mm. it used to be that you were either competing for a championship or you were quote rebuilding, which means you're intentionally bad, yeah. get rid of all your veterans and then get young guys. And then hopefully in a few years, all the young guys grow together and you can be competing for a championship. So that's a rebuild, but teams that are mm-hmm. kind of in the middle that don't want to go like full rebuild, like say, okay, we made a mistake. We got to start over. They retool. And that just means like, mm-hmm. no, we're so loaded that we don't even have to rebuild. We can just right away swap new people and retool. So I think it's kind of funny to hear that in the Marvel context. That's um, funny. Yeah. That Marvel is, you know, so much the King that they don't have to rebuild. They can just kind of, you know, tweak a few things, whatever. But the whole focus Mm -hmm. is on how much Marvel has been retooling internally. 
Some things I think you'll like. They talk about, first of all, the PR assault that intentionally happened during the week of Madam Web, that Madam Web has come out and that it, it points hmm. to things from DC and from Sony kind of tarnishing or adding to the superhero fatigue, even though that's not Marvel's fault, Marvel Studios' fault. Uh -huh. And they combat that by putting out the Deadpool 3 trailer, which broke the record with 365 million views in 24 hours as a trailer. Mm -hmm. Then they announce that X-Men 97 is coming sooner than we thought, and they have a trailer for that. And then they announce on that Valentine's Day the Fantastic Four stuff. Mm -hmm. It says right here, these public-facing moves come as studio boss Kevin Feige recalibrates the creative direction behind the scenes. Early in February, the company completed reshoots for Agatha Darkhold Diaries, the WandaVision spinoff, starring Katherine Hahn that is expected to hit Disney Plus this fall. The company usually budgets five days of reshoots into the schedule, but the studio completed the work in just one, fueling wow. a sunny outlook around the show internally, according to sources associated with the series. Then they quietly hired Eric Pearson to polish the script for Fantastic Four. Oh, wow. Which will shoot this summer. Pearson is a company stalwart who worked on Ragnarok and Black mm -hmm. Widow. So I thought that's mm -hmm. something you would like. Behind the scenes, yeah. they've hired him. And you I know how, that. in general, we like the script polishing. Like, remember Guardians? Uh -huh. Like, when anything that's happened, usually that's a positive for us so far. Yeah. Yeah. Especially from someone that kind of understands the different, like, I, I like, I, I feel like Black Widow and, and Ragnarok gives you sort of a good, like, he's got a, a good sense of just what a Marvel movie needs to look like, period. Yes. It's not like he can only do a certain kind. That's the perfect formula for me, by the way. It's Kevin Feige dream of a story that could be told. Give it to a even independent director who's going to mm -hmm. make this their passion project to make the best film possible. And then mm -hmm. during the script writing process, bring in somebody who is an expert in the Marvel universe and those characters to just go, hey, let's just, you know, let's cut that joke. Or maybe this character would say this instead right here mm -hmm. because we've been around for 20 years doing this. And there's hopefully a perfect blend there of all that. You'll like this though. Marvel also hired Joanna Kahlo, Kalo, the showrunner for the bear. Oh, to work, I, okay. to work wow. on the script for Thunderbolts. Yeah, that's wild. So that's good, right? That's great. I mean, yeah, all of those pieces of news are great. And then it goes into the uh, how Marvel is now cleaning up the mess in the wake of the Jonathan Major scandal, which is not news. We've talked about that a lot, but mm -hmm. that they have officially dropped Kang Dynasty from the next Avengers film. I'm sure you saw that. It is now just yeah. Avengers Untitled. We don't know. Could it be Secret Wars Part 1 and Part 2? Maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, and then on the TV side, Marvel has been reorganizing its operations to allow for greater control from showrunners, a move made after the critical failure of the expensive Secret Invasion. The focus, quote, is internal this year. Bob Iger says some of the studios lost a little focus. So the first step that we've taken is to reduce the volume, which we've talked about. We've mm -hmm. reduced the output, particularly at Marvel, in order to ensure, quote, the films you're making can be even better. Iger then goes out of his way to tout Captain America 4, which we haven't talked a lot about here, really. We really haven't gone into it much, True. but that's one of the next films coming out. And then this is my favorite thing. The final quote is, quote, they're not going to give up, says a source who worked with Marvel over the past year. They want to make something great. Wow. So I just thought, I thought you would like that. Yeah. It, it mostly left me on a pretty encouraged note, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that that's all you can... Like, that's all you can ask for uh, it, coming out of growing pains 
and actually self-assessing. I, I think that if it doesn't, you know, whatever your opinion is on on Marvel's status now versus in prior years, I I think that is something that has always set it apart is a willingness to learn from mistakes. Most of those were early on, and that's part of why I think it's so controversial when they have mistakes now. But it's like, or or like what we've talked about before with, with Feige always pushing for even story choices that kind of reference and retroactively not, it's not a retcon, but it's like a retroactive infusion of meaning uh, of prior things. So that makes sense to me. And I think it's what makes it different from studios like Sony. I won't throw DC in that category because I don't think it's fair to really judge that until Gunn gets his chance to really build his thing. Sure. Uh, but certainly like, I, I think the, the troubling thing is when, is when you see the writing on the wall and things just keep coming out and it's like, this is not like, we need to pump the brakes for a second. And I love that Marvel did Madam that Web. a while ago. No Morbius. Madam Web. <laughs> Cra- oh man. Which, by the way, I, Candace and I were in our hotel room, uh, and there was like an old episode of the Tonight Show that came on, and this, we talked about this. And it's funny that that article mentions it because when when Jimmy Fallon introduces her, he's like, "She's the star of a brand new Marvel movie. This is a huge deal. Marvel movies are crazy. Like those, these are uh, cult, like cultural yeah, touchstones. Right. Yeah, but it's a thing. And I'm like, man, that's such a bummer." Because so many people, like I was talking about the guy in my office, like so many people are going to think, yep. man, just another like massive Marvel flop. I think that external pressure could become a catalyst for getting a deal done. Because now from the Marvel perspective too, they may, be, they may be more desperate than ever to be like, Sony, we got to buy this out. Because now we're getting lumped into the negative press and yeah. we think we can make better movies. So Sony mm-hmm. has got to be like, look, no one's going to these movies. So we want to get rid of this. That's what they have to be thinking. And now Marvel might be thinking it's maybe worth more than we thought because the damaging effects of somebody else making it under our name is is that it's causing superhero fatigue and we didn't even do it. We didn't even cause it. Right. You know, it's like if we stop, if we stop making films for a year, like they basically have and take a break, but other people still put out movies under Marvel. It doesn't look good for us. Um, Thought you'd like that. And Craven's still coming out. And Craven's still coming out and Venom three. So yeah. Thought you would enjoy that article. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We're just getting started. We're doing this episode because we feel like we're about to kick off so much stuff, and we wanted to check in with you guys. After Dune, which everyone should see, after Dune Part 2, we're going to be diving back in on the main feed, back through our Phase 4 journey. So rewinding all the way back to where we were with Wakanda Forever, and then getting ready for X-Men 97, which is March 20, so less than one month away. So here we go. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Thanks for sharing the word. We'll be right back here talking more of this stuff back here on Friends From Work. <laughs>